Welcome to my podcast, In the Driver's Seat. My name is Sonia Driver and I'm the founder of EcoTan, an Australian organic clean beauty company. Come with a curious mind and an open heart and hopefully it will leave you with a gift. I'll be inviting inspiring and fascinating people into the driver's seat. People whom I connect with and I believe you will too. I'll be unravelling layers of them and their story and that's where we'll find the gold. Buckle up, it's going to be one hell of a ride. Warning, this is an explicit podcast. There is swearing. Maybe a lot. So today, everybody, I'm absolutely beside myself. I'm actually extremely nervous because I hope I do honour this beautiful guest this incredible woman, this overcomer, this champion of a woman, mother, daughter, sister, friend. Her name is Carmen Greentree. She's the author of Dangerous Pursuit of Happiness. That's her book. Everybody go and get that. And we'll find out from Carmen where we can buy this book. I'm going away in a few days and my sister-in-law said to me, have you got a book? I'm thinking, shit, no. So I'm going to go driving around the Gold Coast trying to find it in a moment. She has been in the pursuit of her highest truth and purpose all her life. From a depressed and anxious young girl, she became a world-class pro surfer. She was traveling the world and riding the ecstatic waves of fame and fortune. Then Carmen took a deep dive into spirituality at 21, as we actually all often do at 21. That was the sort of age I started doing that as well. And she headed, like many do, to India to study with the Dalai Lama. Her quest for enlightenment was a, was brutally derailed when she was abducted, had her passport and money stolen, was raped repeatedly, extorted, abused, and kept a prisoner on a houseboat in Kashmir for two long months. I am trying to hold back the tears and absolutely bloody traumatised for even reading that. Welcome, my beautiful Carmen. Wow, what a beautiful introduction. And I'm so honoured that you're allowing me to come onto your platform and share my story with all of your listeners. So thank you so much for having me. And that was a really, really nice introduction. Oh, you're so welcome. Now I'm going to stop crying. I'm hopeless at this podcast (laughs) stuff. (laughs) <laughs> Somebody get me a wine. It's only 11 o'clock. Um, wow. I mean, that's, this is just incredible. So you were saying before we started, um, you live a couple of hours south of Sydney now on the beach with um, your husband and children and you're 37 now and this sort of happened to you at 21. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, twenty two actually. Sorry, twenty. I went. I I planned to leave at twenty one, and and when I was there, it was I was twenty two. Wow. So suppose yeah. so let's just start with your story. So take us take us back to when you were um, surfing and before um, India and how India came about. So maybe just I'll just hand you over the platform and let's yeah, all just listen great. to your story. Thank you. Right. So for me, it all started as young as I can remember. I remember looking out the window when I was a little girl and would stare out at the night sky at the stars. And I would already at that young age be 
wondering or feeling like there was definitely something more than this because my life was was pretty painful. It was pretty grim and dark and a bit lonely and isolating and um, I'll, I'll explain why in a minute but I just really, really remember as young as I can looking out and thinking there's, there's, there's got to be a purpose to the suffering and you know, I might have only been about five or four years old, as young as that. So it started quite early um, for me. My brother, was around that time, my brother actually got diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. He was my younger brother. Wow. And it was just the two of us and my parents. And that was a shock for my mum and dad. So dad went spiralling into an, a, a mix of depression and obsession to find a cure. Yep. Mum felt really guilty because... You know, as she was, it's passed down through the mother's line of genetics, and it's you know, it's she would. There's no way she would ever know. No one would ever know. But I'm sure that there was an element of guilt for her, and she, you know, got lost in I guess her emotions and reaction as you would as a mother. And my world became really cold and really dark and really scary I didn't know what was going on and I didn't really have a lot of family externally and obviously I didn't have a lot of friends because I was only a little girl so you know to me something was really really wrong like to just live in such a cold isolating emotional mess it's it's such a yeah such a young age so so I didn't it's really interesting. I didn't um, have any, I, like back then, as you would know, that, that, you know, no one talked about meditation or not in my circles anyway. No, no one talked about that yoga or, you know, anything to do with like Eastern philosophies or, or spirituality. I mean, I didn't hear about those things till my late teens, but I remember as a child intuitively actually drawing upon the skills of meditation and breathing and uh, like breathing techniques already in primary school in my bed I would just go quietly at night and I would lay there and I would just start to play around with the energy in my body and play around with the breathing and and focus my mind on my body and I started to experience a sense of control so it it was just slowly I was aware of of that there were certain things I could do to change my state and change my energy and um, I I used that a lot through my primary school years just to get through through um, like a coping mechanism but but um, it didn't take away the actual trauma in the cells like the the, the painful feelings of feeling abandoned, feeling confused, feeling unloved, you know, no fault of my parents. They were doing the best they could, but um, those things were stuck inside my cells. And so all the meditation in the world wasn't going to meditate that out of my cells, which I learned later on that I had to actually dive deep into my physical body and actually connect with those feelings to release those feelings. But because I didn't learn that until many, many, many years later, I actually carried this trauma all the way through until I was in my 20s. And so luckily for me, another godsend was that after, I found surfing. And when I found surfing, you know, as I'm sure a lot of people will relate to just even just 
going to the beach, going for a walk to the beach, breathing in that ionized fresh air and and being in the salt water and the cleansing relief and, and re- revitalization that you get from the ocean. Like I, I, I found peace and relief in that, but then also to being a surfer, actually being able to paddle out, get inside the waves, get on the surfboard and use my body, I became physically strong and physically empowered and I could channel all of my pain and and sadness and loneliness and I could actually hide. It was a really good way to hide from life as well. So so that's kind of um, why I ended up becoming so good at surfing was because I used it as as a way to escape and to hide from from the world because I was also very, very frightened of people getting too close to me because I didn't want people to know how much pain I was in because I was, a sh- I, I don't know, I must have taken that sense of shame or sense of wrongness about it from somewhere. But yeah, I, I, I had this feeling that I, I should be ashamed of my, actually I do, I do, I just remembered that that to me came from one of the things was that my brother was diagnosed with this disease and he was suffering. So he had a legitimate reason to be to yeah. suffer. Yes. And so therefore I felt guilty for suffering because why should I suffer when my life is so, I'm, I'm not the one sick. So I, I should, I didn't feel entitled to feel those feelings. So I was ashamed of those wow. feelings. But the thing is all that was buried so, so deep that, you know, I, was years of therapy and unpacking that to to um to find out what was going on. So so when we don't know what's going on in our subconscious or in our body, then we uh, we live it out. We we um, actually vibrated all sorts of weird and wacky vibrations, attracting all sorts of interesting relationships. And I mean, I, I could tell you now, it's not just what happened to me in India. I have had so many unhealthy relationships based on not healing yeah. the underlying traumas of, of, of um, my upbringing. So, yes, I, I, yeah. t- I totally relate. Yeah. So, you know, your energy attracts that, you know, a vibe. And yeah, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah. So, so take us. So, um, so when you started to, um, so you decided that you, so were you on the circuit at um, surfing as a pro, professional surfer? Yeah, yeah. So I was on the World Qualifying Series, and at the time there was there was the WCT, which was the World Circuit Tour, and they had sixteen girls at the top, and then the WQS was the one, the tier down below that. Yes. But all the girls from the CT would compete with us as well because they had to get in that top eight to get back onto the tour. So we were all kind of really in one big pool at the end of the day. And uh, I was competing on that for a couple of years, and huge achievement! One- like seriously, congratulations to you. That's a mass. Let's just stop to acknowledge that. Like uh, with all the you know the pain that you were going through, and you made it to that elite level. I'm just that's an, a huge accomplishment. Well done, brilliant. Oh, I really appreciate you saying that because sometimes I I just overlook my own achievements even still to this day, you know, because I, I, I think we all sort of maybe have a 
a way of toning ourselves down, don't we? In yeah, society. yeah, I we, do exactly the same. I, I, I get it. But I recognise it in other people, but very hard in myself, you know, to recognise yeah. it or, or accept compliments. I think, oh, no, I'm shit. What do you mean? I'm shit. Can't you see I'm yeah, shit? Yeah, exactly. I can't believe people <laughs> can't see I'm crap. But anyway, I know. I get it. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. it's huge. And my husband, he's a surfer. He just thinks that, you know, you're phenomenal and it's a massive. Oh, that's sweet. Massive. Yeah, he drives me crazy well, with the surfing. Drives uh, me fucking crazy. He, he's so lucky to be surfing those waves at the Goldie all the time because I, I love those waves. Uh, he, yeah, his favourite spot is at Kira. He loves Kira. Oh, yeah, yeah. Drives me mad. Okay, so... So what was the turning point in your life that you decided, okay, I'm going to, in the peak of your surfing career, I'm going to go to India? The reason why I had a turning point in my life was when I, when I was on the, the surfing circuit, the QS, I was ranked 23rd in the world. Right. And I was at an event. So it was the very, very last six-star event in Hawaii at the end of the year in December. I think it was November, late November or early December. And um, I – so six stars was as high as it was back then, and that means you get the most points. And so if so, getting through a couple of rounds in that event would most likely have got me the point to make that top eight, and therefore I would have been in that top 16 in the world. And so I was so close. And – I, you know, at this point, I'd been doing competitions for seven years and I had never had any problems ever filling out paperwork and getting confirmation to be in an event. Right. So I did it as normal. I got the confirmation that I was in the event. I flew all the way over there, accommodation, you know, boards and, and travel and all that stuff that you've got to pay for. And I paid for my insurance and entry fee and everything was normal. And when I got the event they said I wasn't in the event that I was only on the reserves list Wow! and after working for seven years and giving it everything I had for that particular year I did full-time competition I was absolutely shattered yeah 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 so that's when I was so I, at this point, I had chronic fatigue because I only had one gear. I didn't know how to rest. I only knew how to yeah. go 100 miles an hour. And uh, when that happened, I just didn't have – I needed to have that break, that lucky break, and it didn't go my way. And I just knew that I didn't have any steam left in the tank. So I just – I collapsed and – gave it I just gave it I, it wasn't even really I gave it up it was just that I knew that I had to surrender and accept that okay. it was over yeah and uh, I was in shock and I was just yeah lost really really lost I, I remember the feeling of having no direction and and being lost it was so so huge and it was suffocating like I couldn't think of anything else it was just like what am I going to do I don't know what I'm going to do and there was this humongous hole and everything in that hole was black and painful and awful. Okay, so, so I was, at Hawaii, were yeah. you in Hawaii when this was happening to you, when these yeah, feelings were Yeah, I was happening? in Hawaii. So, you were yeah. by, so were you by yourself? That's a horrible thing to be feeling, by yourself in Hawaii. Well, I was semi by myself. Uh, I had a boyfriend that yeah. I was saying, that lived in Hawaii. He was a Hawaiian. Yeah, and he sounds was, sexy already. I was, 
<laughs> he was very adorable. Oh. <laughs> very lovely guy. And, old lady. Uh, <laughs> and but he'd gone he'd actually gone to Europe for a month. So okay. I was somewhat on my own for that month. Mm-hmm. And the, but but also to there was some friends that I'd made, some new friends that were there, but we clicked really strongly. So as soon as my surfing career was out of the way, I actually had space for friends for the first time, probably really ever. And I actually met these amazing people and I'll, I feel like they were sent to me at the, at the most divine time because Hawaii, I'm sure you, you know, you've heard about it or you've probably been there as well and it's just a magical beautiful place and it's actually very spiritual there's a very strong energy there yeah there is and um hanging out with these really lovely people doing these amazing adventures every day like one one day we would be hiking up a mountain the next day we'd be swimming through waterfalls picking fruit from the trees going um like swimming on the back of boats out in the middle of the ocean with whales and sharks and it was just it was just adventure, Absolutely fun, nature. Yeah. Yes. So, so you were there so and then what made you having a, this beautiful, magical time and then what happened? You thought, I'm going to go to India. Yeah. So, so well, I, I was happy on the outside but I wasn't happy on the inside. I knew that I was I, something was hurting me emotionally and I needed to – like so this beautiful boyfriend of mine wanted me to – you know, run away with him for the rest of however long. Like we would, we were planned to go in a van, and we were going to. I was going to. I was supposed to fly to California, and he had the van waiting for me. And I was supposed to go all the way through Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, and we we're just going to have a good time surfing and meditating and yoga, all the things that I love. But the thing is, I was like broken, and I, I just didn't feel. I, to be honest. Looking back now, it's clear that I didn't feel worthy. I didn't yeah. know that at the time, but I didn't feel worthy of that. Yes, I, I didn't. I, I felt, yeah. And so I wanted to work out what the hell was going on because mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, this is not normal. Like, this is this doesn't feel healthy. This doesn't feel right." And I, I, I'm not someone that can just like handle that. I'm not like, yeah, you want oh, well, to get make- to the bottom. To you want to delve. You want to dig that root out. You want to, yeah, solve it. Yeah. I love that. And and so I was, you know, and so at that 100 miles an hour that I put into surfing, I now put 100 miles an hour into what I call back then enlightenment. That was my pursuit of right. enlightenment. Okay. And I heard that India was the place to go for that. So, you know, that's where the uh, connection to India came from. And at the time, we didn't, I didn't, the internet wasn't huge. I think it had only just really sort of come out and there wasn't yeah. a lot on the internet and, Dalai Lama was kind of one of the the only real people that I'd heard about in India at the time. So he was the big deal, and he was running a he happened to be running a course at that time. So I was like, oh well, it's all it's a sign. Off you go, you know, just pack yeah. your bags and on on your way. And so I went by myself. I sold everything that I had except for two boxes worth of memorabilia and my obviously my surfboards. Packed a bag, one backpack, and just a few desperate sort of things that you need as like a a traveler with bare minimum, like a minimalist. Yeah. And uh, off I went. 
yeah, on my way to find enlightenment at all costs. Wow. Very masculine, very uh, driven, very um, determined. Desperate. Yeah. <laughs> so you get there. So, yeah. what, what, so you arrive, which, where'd you fly into? Into Delhi. Okay, yeah. New Delhi. Yeah, so, uh, okay, so you arrive. So, what happened? So, how did you end up on this boat? So, I, um, I was always the type of person that wanted to stretch my budget as far as it could because that's what yep. you do when you're a backpacker. So I took a, a ridiculously cheap plane flight that had like a million stopovers. Yeah. <laughs> so, so by the time I got to India, it was in the middle of the night yes. and I'm had, I had, I don't think I'd slept for well over a 24 hour period. Yeah. And I was jet lagged, exhausted, travel, uh, tired, and then I, I thought that it was going to be just as easy to get accommodation at any hour of the night, but like any other major city because of the fact that I thought, oh, well, 40 million people, going to be people everywhere. And I've been told Delhi is a very busy city, which which was to some extent. But the thing was, I was so surprised when I got there that I couldn't, I couldn't get a hotel. Like it was... I kept, I tried to, I kind of explain a little bit more in detail in the book, but this process of trying to get this hotel. And so I ended up just taking whatever I could also because I was desperately tired and just wanted to, to lay down. Stretch out. And yeah. Um, yeah, and I got to this hotel room. It was not a, I had a lonely planet with me. That was my guide. Yes. And I told the taxi, this is where I wanted to go. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, okay, cool. You know, it's where we're going. But I don't think he took me to the place that I had on my like my finger on because when I got there, it was the biggest, disgusting dive I'd ever seen. I mean, oh, it was horrifying. And uh, I, I, at this point, I'm just like, who cares? I'm going to go to sleep and that's it. But I walked into the room. The room had a mattress and nothing else, no sheets, nothing. It was gross. So gross. I mean, like, like, oh, I go into it's. I actually like that part in the book because it's kind of funny. Like when I talk about the furniture and the way yeah. that the the shower is, and it's just. But but the funniest part about it was that there was actually a man sized hole in the wall, going out into the street where you could, and it was up. Um, it was up either two or three stories high, and you could literally just step off. And fall onto the road. Right. So it was just hilarious. But, you know, at least I can laugh about it now. But I, I um, so I laid down on a sarong. I remember having two sarongs in my backpack, put one underneath and one over me, thinking, oh my gosh, like bed bugs, gross. Yeah. And boy, was I right about the bed bugs. There oh. was, I, I passed out only to be woken up on fire, absolute <gasps> fire all over my skin, itching. About it, probably about an hour later or half uh-huh. an hour later, and that just went on until the sun came up. Like I just didn't really get a wink of sleep. So again, I'm I'm now burning, agitated, tired, hungry, stressed, and um, you're worn out already. Yeah. You know, it's things awesome. things weren't weren't going the way that I expected them to go. So because I was in this state, I ended up. I knew exactly what bus I had to get on and I knew exactly where I had to go to because I was, I just had my mind, I wasn't a tourist, I had my mindset on this Dalai Lama course mm-hmm. and I knew which 
which bus that I had to catch. And all I could think about was getting out of Delhi and getting on that bus because it was 14 hours and I'd be able to sleep the whole time. On the bus, yeah. So, so I ended up walking in this state into a completely dodgy non-government tourist agency. And right. I didn't, I didn't know that. And yeah. they ran scans where they would do, do their best. It was a whole family that would, that worked together to run these scans. And the brother that worked at this agency, his job was to get as many people to this place called Kashmir mm-hmm. as possible, where the other brother then would, would pick you up and then extort you for as much money and, and, and other, obviously in my case, being a woman, take whatever you want physically. Right. So, so that's how I ended up in Kashmir is that I got tricked by this, this, um, this family. Yeah. Wow. Those fucking bastards. And are they all dead now or in jail or something? Tell me. My husband said he will let you know that he will fly over and sort them out, by the way. He <laughs> my didn't tell me. Did the same thing, yeah. They, maybe they can get to uh, it. I'm sure it's illegal, but, you know. <laughs> so I, I go into a lot of this in the book as to, I, in, in really great detail, I really wanted to explain why I couldn't go through the court case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, at the time, and I felt that was important because a lot of people want to know why I couldn't, why, why I didn't put this guy away, or these, these people, I should say, away. Don't um, worry, there's but, a higher power. Let me tell you, there's a higher power. I absolutely believe of every cell in my body that everybody will reap and sow. I 100% do. You know? Oh, me too. Absolutely. That is so, so, so true. Yeah, absolutely. So you go there and the brother tricks you, so does he take you to the boat? They told me that I was going, they were going to take me to the Dalai Lama via a plane trip and a bus ride. But when I got, when I, um, you know, at this point, they then, they then changed the goalpost on me and said, well, it's a plane trip and two nights at this boat and then a bus trip. Right. And none, none of that I wanted to do. Now, I wanted to just get on that 14 hour bus yes. ride, but because I was worn down and tired, I Disagreed. gave into the way that they wanted to go about yeah. it. So I ended up getting on the houseboat reluctantly for those those two nights, but then I never got to be like I never got let off for right. two months. Yeah, so that's that's so, that's how it ended up. It ended up like basically they just never ever let me go. Yeah. So what what did that what happened on the boat when you got to the boat? What did they say? Did they say this is a scam? What would make? I mean, what what happened? Did they? Were they leading you on? Yes, we're going to travel up to see the dialogue. Yeah, they led me on. Yeah, they, 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 they led me to believe, the older brother led me to believe that he was going to do everything he can to, to take care of me. He was my tourist guide. Right. <laughs> and um, it just was all, always what he wanted to do, not what I wanted to do. And I learned very quickly that I didn't really have a say in the matter. <laughs> Yeah. Was the boat moored um, or was it, you know, at, on, on the water somewhere? What, what was happening? Like, where was the boat? So, so Kashmir, so the, the houseboats yeah. in Kashmir are on a big lake called Dow Lake. It's a really, really big lake okay. out in the middle of just um, near the, the base of the Himalayan mountains. It's very, very beautiful, and I, which is a shame that it, it's such a beautiful place and that I had to experience it like that. Um, so the, the houseboats, there was a few different houseboats and they're kind of all in a bit of a line on the edge of what looked 
to be like from from like it was difficult. It's difficult for me to really have a big picture in my head about it, but I do remember that they were moored onto like what appeared to be a muddy island, a small muddy island where there was a few village people that would live like really, really poor on in like huts on the mud. Like there wasn't really anything there other than just a, a, a small community of very, very poor people on this island. So, okay, yeah, that, so, that. so set the scene what happens on the boat and what, what, what your life, your daily life like is like on the boat. So within a like, I was sexually abused the first night, and then I was thinking at that like so after that I thought well, it's I'll get off the, the bus the, this boat in two nights so you know like I'll put it all behind me. So it, it was kind of like at first I just kept thinking look this is just a bad experience but I'll be right. Yeah. And then after those two nights, it started to sink in that it wasn't just going to be two nights. And so what happened really quickly, within pretty much within two days, I was wearing, I was forced to wear the traditional Indian Sorry. Uh, clothing where like you dress with the long, the Sorry, long yeah. dress, the long pants, the, the wrap around the head. Yeah. And I'd been given a prayer rug. And I'd been given a Quran translated in English, and I was very, very, very pressured, encouraged, is a light word, encouraged heavily to participate in their 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 way. So, so what happened is I actually ended up quite quickly be, being kind of one of the women that was sort of owned there, and I just did the chores. And filled my day with prayer and and um, just yeah, I, I I did it to cope. I did it to survive. I did what's called fawning. So you fawning is when you you um, actually try to placate or make your your abuser or your um, your whatever you want to call it um, like happy. You want to you want to appease them. You want to yeah. Um, you want to keep the situation at safe levels of, of abuse and violence out of survival and it, and it looks like you're trying to you know make them happy and and, and it, it almost looks like you you're you're loving them because the more yeah. that you love them the, the, the nicer that they'll be to you so oh, totally, totally. I, yeah yeah that's what I that's how I cope for two months oh my god so did you ever have like were you going through escape plans? Did you have, like what were the thoughts that you you told yourself? Um, yeah, I, I for the for the for like I don't know how long. It's hard to know exact time frames, but I know that I wrecked my brain trying to escape at every possible angle I could think of in my head. And um, after I ran out of viable options, then I started to just check out. Of, of my body, just give. Yeah. I gave up and just sort of off I went. I just, I didn't, I don't, I wasn't, I wasn't there. I really just know I wasn't there. I was sort of off in some la la alternate reality. And so, did you have any like supernatural um, experiences while you were on that boat? Um, like, like your girlfriend that had that dream. Can you talk us through that? That, that. Yeah. So I, I was praying, and it was, it was. I had a mantra that I brought with me from my own 
exploration, my spiritual exploration beforehand. And that mantra I just used to like send a message out to the universe that I was like just to connect with that that higher power. Right. Yeah. Didn't really. I didn't ask for anything, but I just remember using that as like it was more like just asking for the highest and best divine good to happen. Okay. And um, I believe that that got that um, prayer, if you want to call it that, got answered because my friend Kat actually had a dream and that dream woke her up in the middle of the night and she just knew she, the dream, the dream told her that I was actually in some serious trouble and I really did need help. And she was able to be intuitive enough to recognize that it was not just a silly dream. It was actually something to be taken seriously and that she followed her, she followed up with action. Fantastic. So what did she do? Did she contact your parents or? Yeah, so, so towards the end of my experience, this older brother started to get really interested in how much money my parents made and what they did for a living. Okay. And so there was a, there was a couple, of, there was a phone call and there might have been a couple of phone calls, like one or two, and um, there was there was like a particular piece of, like, like a, he wanted to, Ask for this this special expensive. I know it sounds weird, but like a fishing rod. And I think what he was trying to do is work into more, starting off with like things that were maybe believable. Yeah. So he he had me convince my dad that he needed this fishing rod for blah blah blah. And anyway, that so because we made that connection, uh, my when Catherine rang my mum she um, was able to get the phone number and that phone number was what the police and the embassy in Australia and the police and the embassy in India used to work out where I was and actually come and rescue me. Oh my goodness. So that was pretty, pretty special. Like pretty, pretty amazing. Cause at that point there was just, I just did not believe I was ever going to get off that boat. So, did anybody like so besides your friend? Was any were your parents sass? Were they thinking something's out of character? Like were you trying to give them any when you're talking to them any hints? Like anything like that? No, they look. My, my mum and dad knew that I was always like on a mission, and okay. they didn't expect me to. They knew that I wasn't planning to come home soon. That I was going to study for a while and. Um, they, they, I don't, I, I don't know, like, why they didn't think it was strange that I was asking for this item, because that's not, that's actually not normal. Like, I, I'm, I was never the kind to really ask for anything unless I needed it for me out of absolute desperation. So that was definitely a bit strange. But um, maybe they, maybe I, I don't. I have never really asked them. It's, it's been very difficult to talk to my parents about this, but for my sake as well. Like I found it really uncomfortable to talk to my parents about this whole experience because I went through a lot of shame in my healing process. Yeah, and um, yeah, I just so when did so, they, so I don't really know. Something must have happened that they said, "Okay, I'm going to go to the police that something's not right here." 
Oh, it was Catherine that, that um, it, it was Catherine that convinced my parents. Okay. That was that up. there was a problem because of her dream, right. and that that was the reason for why it was Catherine that actually, mum and dad helped, but it was Catherine that drove the whole thing with the police. Oh, thank God for Catherine. Yeah, thank God. Talk us through when you were actually rescued. So, in, it was a long, long, long day. I, it was actually really interesting because I didn't know that it was going to happen on this particular day, and I, I woke up. I mean, in the morning, I I knew nothing at all. Like, I thought I was still stuck on the boat until I die. Like, that was, I, yeah. I was clueless. And But this, I do remember having this very, very unusual experience of waking up really early and feeling like something different was going to happen this day. There was a different feeling in the air, and I just felt like, there was a change, like, you know, you know, when people yeah. feel like a change in the wind or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So I got up early and it was really quiet and no one was awake and I just was looking around the lake and yeah, I, I just, I just, um, yeah, I knew it was, I, it was, it was interesting. So then I got a phone call off Kat not long after that and then she was able to explain to me that I'm being rescued. And then um, she just told me to stay put. And it wasn't until right at the very, very end of the day that these, I think it was two or three, like it's, it's I, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's, it's hard to sort of fully remember because yep. I was in such a threat, like a real serious threat. But I know there was at least two policemen with guns on a boat that, came to, to where the houseboat was that I was on and um, they just said, are you coming? And I was like, yes, like, wow, this is real. This is a, this is police, this, this is a police boat. This is a real, I'm getting rescued, you know, and it was such a shock that it was actually real. Yeah. And so what and, they said, um, come with me and like, what, what do the people in the boat say? What do the men say? Well, Luckily, the older brother had actually left for the day to, to go attend to some business. So he wasn't there. And I was absolutely petrified. Like, this was the most terrifying day of all of the days because all along I'd been the most petrified of, of being caught trying to escape. I, I felt yeah. like that would be my worst nightmare. And also, too, like, there's a lot of bribery that goes along with the police. So I was also very, very afraid that, if, even if these well-meaning police officers rescued me, I was so afraid that they would get bought off. Yeah. So I was so, so, like, just even still to this day, so thankful that that didn't happen and that that that, that um, older brother was not there that day when that happened. Wow. So, so you, yeah. you jumped on the boat with the police? Yeah, yeah. And then we, so so um, so the older brother actually arrived right at the point where we were getting. So as we went to the other side of the lake to where the cars would be. Yep. And we had to catch a car. We had to get into a car. Now we either got into a car or a cab. I can't remember, but it was a car, and um, we had to drive straight to the airport and get onto a plane. Right. Now, when I when we arrived at 
the the other side of the lake, I had I could see at the I didn't want to look, and I talk about this. I sort of describe this scene in the book. I looked just only at the corner of my eye, and I explain more about why. But I could see the older brother actually arriving back home at the houseboat across the other side of the lake, and I could see that there was a commotion. Like I could see arms waving and pointing and whatnot, and they, there was the realization that I wasn't there. Right. And he hopped in his boat and he tried to chase after us, <gasps> and that was horrifying. That was just absolutely. I felt like my skin was peeling off my body. Oh my god! And with, so with fear. That's horrific. I've got that in my mind. That's giving me shivers. So. Um, and then you just take off in the car. Yeah, and we went straight to the airport. And oh. I knew I knew that he would know where we were going, and I could just feel him Follow. following us all all the way, even even in his car as well. I could just feel that he was one step behind us the whole way. It was just it's, it's still to this day it makes me feel sick, sick so, because I just so, so you it just felt there yeah, so close. Oh my god! So they talk to um, so you get on the plane. So they take the police take you to the airport, and you get on the plane. And where's the plane taking you to? Back to Delhi, and I had to stay in Delhi for a while because they had to recover my passport, my ticket, and some of my belongings because everything was taken and hidden from me. Yeah. So I didn't. I couldn't fly home without that. But they could only recover my passport. Everything else was gone. So do they go back onto the boat and get your passport? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And they also arrest I also arrested two two of the men. That's that's good news. That's yeah. good news. Okay, so they've got your passport. That would have been a terrifying time as well for you thinking they're gonna be bribed or who's gonna come back. Oh, that would have been Well, horrific. I was at the, at this point I was actually in a hotel with, with high security. Oh thank and God. I had two two I had two bodyguards. Yeah. And everyone in the hotel knew what was happening and they were all so nice to me and I felt really safe and I just never left that hotel. I stayed, I had to stay there for I think four days in total. Wow. And I just didn't leave. I just stayed with those bodyguards. <laughs> oh my God, that's yeah. fantastic. Oh my God, thank, thank you. But my heart's resting a little bit now. Um, so I can only imagine when you touch down in Australia. Have you been back to India since then, by chance? No, no. But the, but the, I would, I really would like to because I do believe that there's beautiful things in India and there's just I, um, there's shit people yeah. everywhere in the world. You that's know, right, exactly. That's true. What advice do you give to any young and young men and women um, travelling to India for self enlightenment or anywhere for that matter? I think that. You know, it's 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 a tricky one because I know that it like when I was a kid or young a young person, I hated being told anything. But you know, it, it, now being mature and having gone through what I've gone through, like you know, I, I would like to say, and, and I hope that people, young people, do consider that it, you know, do your homework on where you're going, yeah, and 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 create a plan. And maybe run the plan by a couple of different people that mm-hmm. know the that have actually like that know that place wherever it is that you're going, yes. and then stick to that plan and don't deviate that plan and 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 
find out what your rights are as a tourist, where you're going, as especially as a female, because you know, for me, like, oh, if I had a if I had known my rights, then I wouldn't have been as easily manipulated. Okay. But because I didn't know my rights, I was e- very easily manipulated because I could just they could just wear me down until I just caved in, and I didn't really know whether what they were saying had any legitimacy to it or not. Wow. So how would you like to end this podcast? What, what can I? What would you like to say? Can yeah, I, this is something that you. Well, would love like to, to I'd love to end with. it on a really positive, happy yeah. note because, you know, it took me fifteen years of, of deep, deep healing work. Yes, uh, and um, a lot of a lot of the things. So, so there's like trial and error, you know, because I I've sort of walked the path maybe a little bit earlier than than. Um, then for my time, I guess you could say that because now there's so many modalities, but but when back then there wasn't as many different modalities going around. So I've sort of worked, walked the path a little bit before where I've made a lot of mistakes some, and I've done a lot of different types of therapies and some worked and some didn't. So I feel like I'm in a really great position to not only be an example of that healing is possible after such a thing, Trauma. And a happy, a true happiness and wholeness and fulfillment is possible, but that I can actually say, look, what works is actually going into what, what I like to call it deep cellular trauma, trauma release, deep right. cellular trauma release, because it's all good and fine to sit with a psychologist or a counsellor or, or, or a healer and talk about your problems verbally. Yes. But you will never, ever, ever heal that way. Okay. You actually need to go into the cells of the body and actually feel, like connect with the feeling. Yeah. So if it's terror, if it's um, shame, if it's anger, if it's hurt, Mm -hmm. if it's suffering, whatever it might be, you have to actually feel where it is in the body Mm -hmm. and you have to use the higher power. So we all have a higher power. Some people believe it's God. Some people believe it's um, spirituality or religion or it doesn't matter. But whatever infinite intelligence wisdom you believe, use that. Even if you just think it's your higher self, use that wiser, higher self part of you to absolutely love and accept that it's there in the body, that that feeling is there and you can feel it and make it okay. And then actually use, so, you know, there's obviously it's going to be more to it, but that's, that's where you have to go. If you're not going there, you're not on the right track. If you, if you go see a healer or a therapist and they start wanting you to talk about this or talk about that or do this technique or do that technique and it's all in the head and it's all in the mind, you are not getting anywhere. You have to actually connect with the feeling in the body. Okay, sit and with that's it. when you pull yeah. onto a higher power or, you know, like even I'm a Christian as a Christian, you know, believe that God is inside of us, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead resides in you. So that same power is inside. So for me, I would connect to the power of God and sit with, I've got lots of trauma and lots of different, you know, shame and everything else But from a woman that's, you know, 54 and, you know, I'm sure a lot of us have got stuff. So, okay, I'm going to try that. I get it. I like it. Yeah, so that's when you know you're on the right track. That's what I'd really like to leave the audience with, that if you've got some sort yep. of trauma or or emotional pain or baggage or something that's just stuck in your life, 
if you want to change it, you have to get to that point and then you're on the right track. Yeah, I like that. And use love. Love is so powerful. So the love of that higher power, I'm going to place over that. That's really beautiful. And also, so if there was a, this is a fan, obviously I'm sure other people have said this too, what an incredible movie this would make, um, your story would make. So who would you like to play Carmen Green Tree in your movie? (laughs) I've actually been thinking about this and I haven't been able to find anyone, but I'd love it to be an Australian up-and-coming actress. Yeah, cool. That would be around the age of, say, 18 to 22 age bracket and, uh, yeah, someone that was obviously a bit surfy, that kind yeah. of fit, fit, fit sort of um, athletic Hi. look and um, someone with a bit of a, a determination but yet soft spiritual side as well so if if there's any actresses listening to this that want to play that role (laughs) let me know hit her up that's awesome i I can really see a beautiful incredible movie carmen thank you so much for joining me in the driver's seat it's absolutely been an honor and, and thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your pain as well as an incredible healing journey so you've helped others i know you've certainly helped me I'm going to go and do what you said about the meditation and tapping into the higher power in me and dealing with some of my own pain. So really, from your pain, you were helping very a lot of people. So I just want to thank you for that. Yeah. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I wrote the book, because I want to help people, because we're, we really are all in this together. You know, this is a human experience and we're brothers and sisters. And, yes. you know, someone has to speak up and speak out and say, hey, it's okay to feel sad and it's okay to to have gone through sexual abuse and shame and trauma. Like, that's yes. okay. And we can we don't have to live with it in silence. We can, we can deal with it. No, and that's not who you are. That's an experience you've had, you know. That's exactly right. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Thank you so much. God bless you, and um, I hopefully we'll catch you soon up at Kira. I'll watch. I don't surf. I'll sit and clap while you have a surf. How's that sound? Sounds, sounds great. <laughs> oh, I'd love to meet you in person, Sonia. Absolutely. God bless. Bye, Carmen. Thank you. Okay, bye. bye. See you later. Bye. So until next time, tribe, I'm jumping out of the passenger seat, closing the door, going inside and having a veto. Let's get together real soon. God bless.